BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to the Horn One Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome to the One on One Podcast with your host. Juan Ayala. that makes this thing so hard to track is again again is you're dealing with sequences related to the number seven and 77 and things like that so i mean you know you you know you don't know if you're 14 weeks out or 14 years out you know or seven weeks out or seven days out that's what sort of you know to be fair that what does what makes this a little hard, hard to hard to track down the only thing i would say is you know i i've run some numbers on this and some you know 
know, little Pythagorean mathematics, maybe a little Kabbalistic magic. I would say keep an eye out for the date, for the seven-day period of June of 2026, spanning from about the 14th to the 21st. If I understand this death, I mean, nothing may happen. I don't know. But I think based on what I know about this thing, I think that's a time frame this thing will find irresistible. Um, and I can't see this thing staying away from that seven-day period in June of 2026. Um, that's that's when I would say this thing could rear its ugly head again. I don't know what it will be. I'd be speculating. Nothing could happen. Welcome back to another episode of the Juan Juan Podcast. I'm your host as always, Juan. Make sure to follow the show on social media at the Juan Juan Podcast, tjojp.com, patreon.com slash the Juan Juan Podcast. If you're on YouTube, Rumble, wherever, like, comment, subscribe, share the show. If you're listening to this on the RSS feed, make sure to leave a five-star review, share with family and friends. Appreciate all of you. And today we have Robert Sullivan with us, somebody who's work i've talked about before on the show i did an alchemical breakdown of star wars and i did read from your book robert of the monomyth and welcome to the show for the first time yeah thank you juan for having me on it's my pleasure to be here and robert uh, you have an interesting background you've been on numerous podcasts before but for those that haven't heard of you where can they find your work and your you've got how many books now I have uh, five books on the market, and I'm working on uh, several others. And these also include some re-editions, like third editions of some of my earlier work. Where can people find those? Yeah, the the books the books are available on all the major online retailers: uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, Apple iBookstore. Um, they are all available in the print form or the ebook, um, or the you know the 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 Kindle, the Nook, the 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 the, the ebook. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the work of fiction, a pack with the devil, the ebook of that will be coming in the next couple months. Um, but all my books, all my are all available in printer, ebook, and again, all, on all the major online retail sellers. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about what got you started in this occult symbolism realm? Because this this is something that I don't know about you, but can you watch movies anymore without trying to <laughs> pick it apart and see the occult behind it? Yeah, I, I can. Um, I can actually do that. Um, I can watch a movie for just pure entertainment value, but I have to confess it is a little difficult. I, I almost inevitably uh, find myself writing things down or taking notes. Um, I was. I decided to take a trip down memory lane, feeling a little nostalgic, and uh, I was on this one show, and we were talking about a horror movies, and uh, I wanted to revisit Friday the 13th, uh, the original one from 1980. And uh, I got it on Blu-ray. Uh, this is, I think it's the uncut version. And I was watching it. And I, I very much like the movie, regardless. Um, but I you know, automatically just started noticing little things, little repetitions, um, little art of memory tricks. And, of course, you know, I have to start jotting notes down. But, yeah, I pretty much can watch a movie just solely for entertainment values, the entertainment value. But I, I do kind of also usually take some notes if, if I start seeing stuff, um, at least for later on. Um, but no, I, I got involved with this at, at a very, a very early age for me. Uh, and again, it, it, it goes back to the movie you'd mentioned, Star Wars. Uh, I was born in 71, so this was a movie, a trilogy uh, that I, I grew up on. 
And uh, I was always, uh, you know, interested as a, as a kid. Uh, it was sort of the ultimate movie. And uh, it was years later, not too many years later, I think probably around the mid 80s, uh, when I discovered that this uh, story that Lucas was telling was coming out of uh, the world of Joseph Campbell. And it was essentially a, 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 a space opera uh, based on ancient mythology. Um, and that very much interested me. So I, I did some research. And of course, this is the Hero with a Thousand Faces book uh, that I'm referring to. And uh, when you read the book, um, I mean, you can clearly see where Lucas is drawing inspiration from. I mean, all, all the elements are there. All the characters are there. Um, this is no state secret anymore. I mean, Lucas openly admits this. Uh, it, on the copy of the, of the uh, Hero's book that I have, uh, I mean, I believe there's a testimonial by Lucas. So uh, this this this, you know, was kind of, I guess, where the, the ball got, you know, started rolling with with the movie uh, symbolism and iconography. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it spans all of Hollywood. It goes back in time. I can take it back to Tudor England with Christopher Marlowe and Shakespeare. Or you can find it in the uh, 19th century American writers like Poe and Melville and Emily Dickinson and people like that. And uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a fascinating study, at least for me anyway. Yeah, I find, I find it truly fascinating. And we have Francis Ford. I think it's Coppola. I've always said Coppola. it wrong. Well, how do you say it? Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola. And he, one of my favorite, because I call them cinemagicians, one of my favorite quotes by him is, I think cinema, movies, and magic have always been closely associated. The very earliest people who made film were magicians. Now, I believe the way he's referring to that is magic... With a, with a C, I guess, right? Not not the one with the K, more of like stage magicians. But even that has some sort of, you know, ideology behind it, right? The the tricking of the senses, if you will. And you mentioned Marlowe. You have, uh, right, William Shakespeare, the, the world's a stage. Every man and woman has their entrances and exits. And there's something about, right, the idea, and, and we call him George Ophiuchus around these parts. <laughs> Instead of George Lucas, George Ophiuchus. And the idea of creating this entire mythos, this entire universe, this entire existence that, again, he, he said he wrote it himself, but let's say, let's say it's a collaboration of people. But the idea of that existing in this higher dimension and then them manifesting that down into the medium that is film that's got to do something psychologically to the masses. And that's, that's magic in itself. That's a cult in itself, the way they were able to manifest that idea and then put it down and essentially have an entire role play or LARPing of the entire thing real time. And, th and these movies, right? Star Wars, the franchise itself has had an, a, a huge impact on culture oh, sure. and society. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things, you know, that, that I think you're spot on with is is the idea, you know, of, of I mean, this again goes back to Shakespeare's plays and stuff like that is the use of the archetypes, um, which are clearly manifestations of the subconscious mind and how they can be, you know, I hate to use the word manipulated, but I guess that's all, all, all the way you can one way to describe it at any rate. There are people who would disagree with that. You know, Giordano Bruno thought it was more of putting the person in touch with the divine. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Hollywood, uh, I was on another show and, you know, Hollywood not only uses archetypes, they manufacture them. Uh, that is irrefutable. Uh, one of the great examples that I always give was 
you know, ask anybody over a certain age, a generation X or above to speak like a vampire. I mean, inevitably, what are they going to try to do? What are they going to try to impersonate Bela Lugosi um, from Dracula? And of course, that's Hollywood magic at its finest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, these movies are very potent forms of sorcery. They they incorporate uh, a lot of techniques, um, art of memory, psychological, occult films can be alchemical. I totally agree with that. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's without question, I think, at any rate, one of the most potent, if not most powerful forms of media ever created. Um, you know, and you get into it with television, music videos. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a broad it's a broad subject. One of the things that always interested me was that I found really, really fascinating was right. This Hollywood pantheon, if you will, that they came up with and they came up with this pantheon, right? You have the werewolf, you have the uh, the white zombie, you have King Kong, you have Dracula. All these movies have something in common that some of the greatest hits all came out during the Great Depression. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the thing I found interesting about that's like the state of the union, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, the country at that point was one of the worst. But then they brought forth some of the greatest hits ever. And it was because these theaters, it was a form of escapism for these people. They were going to these these caves, right? These these dark uh, places going in there. And being subjected to wherever these movies, the cinema was taking them. So their consciousness essentially was being transported to somewhere else. And they could escape the reality that they were actually living in, which was probably horrible to live during that time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the 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 idea of the horror movie, um, you know, with Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, clearly geared towards depression era audiences is you know you're sort of you're, you're sort of conjuring something that's more terrifying than the reality that they that they're in um and, and you find this along the lines also in world war ii um you know you will constantly find these escapist movies that um you know i always think of the, the ones that i always turn to that was completely geared towards the world war ii audience was the basil rathbone uh nigel bruce sherlock holmes series uh from the 1940s those are pure escapism and were completely geared for the World War II audience. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, Hollywood, um, the timing of the film um, I get into in, 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 in the last book I did, and I'm going into this again in the new book, is, of course, The Exorcist. Um, I mean, the timing of that movie is completely synchronized um, to be pulling you out of the 60s and putting you into the 70s. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's there's a lot of. Uh, when it comes when it comes to the, to, to, to cinema, uh, they there really is this huge, overly large palette that these wizards paint with. Um, you know, when when I talk about symbolism, yeah, I mean it's symbolism, but I mean it can be costuming, it can be music, uh, it could be the very actor or actress that is cast in a part can have some sort of occult meaning. So um, yeah, I mean it's 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 very broad, and and you know I've even documented times where the release of the movie, um, the date that is chosen, um, has some sort of occult meaning of some kind, as above, so below, as it were. So, yeah, very, very potent and very powerful stuff. And speaking, I know you wanted to talk about, we have here, let me pull up the, you have The Curse of Aleister Crowley, Rainbow Oz, the, the Killings, and you mentioned The Exorcist, and if I recall correctly, that was also a, a movie set, I guess, that was 
was covered in being cursed because they were supposed to be invoking Pazuzu or something. And a lot of the people that were involved with that movie either passed away or something. Am I correct on that? Have you ever heard anything of that? There was some, there was some problems on the set um, with, with the exorcist. I don't, I don't recall if anyone died um, or anything like that, but um, I mean, certainly that is obviously a very, very bleak uh, film to say the least. And the, the whole, the hub, the whole, I mean, there's a lot of symbolism in that movie, regardless. I mean, there's an entire interplay uh, of light against dark in, in that movie. It begins in the summer in the heat, ends in the frigid cold. Um, you have the Karis figure as clearly as the Christ archetype. Um, you have a lot of Neoplatonic uh, imagery where it's tied to the, 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 the reign of darkness with the demon is tied to the weather, the death of the sun. Uh, Kubrick plays around with this also in The Shining. Um, so you have a lot going on in, in, in The Exorcist. Um, but then you have this whole idea um, where Blatty, uh, the guy who wrote the novel, used to work for the CIA. Um, and and the, the movie is essentially a, a mind control operation, basically designed to subdue the counterculture radicalism of, of the 1960s and usher in this more decadent era of the 1970s. And it clearly worked. Um, you know, the, the Jesuits, uh, the two Jesuit priests represent the, the authority of the state over the populace. The demon uh, represents the counterculture movement, the sort of anti-establishment um, and the casting out of the demon is, is the authority of the estate to smash the people. So, so the, the, the exorcist is this whole examination, a psychological examination of the power of the state over the people. Um, and and uh, that's, I think, a very interesting study. Um, There's something I talk about in Cinema Symbolism 3, and I'm delving into again um, with, with CS4. Um, I don't, you know, the, the, the stuff with uh, the, the stuff with the Wizard of Oz and Crowley is really, really interesting. It's a long story. I don't mind talking about it a little bit, bit a bit, but uh, that's something I'm re I'm researching right now. But the stuff with that is just uh, amazing. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like for you to get into that because this idea of of cursed movie sets. I've been told before that certain people won't watch. Like my wife, she doesn't watch certain horror movies because she believes that you know if you subject yourself to that sort of thing you can open up your mind to certain aspects which i know i've heard you say before you don't believe movies can uh, sort of affect people's reality again correct me if i'm wrong uh but again they're they're alchemical in nature because obviously it's, alchemy is also the manipulation of symbols figuratively and literally i mean the, you know the manipulation of matter itself practical alchemy and then the the right the how many p hall says the alchemist is working on four different dimensions right simultaneously to achieve the magnum opus and i mean they're doing all that because they're work they're layering right the actor is a person the character that they're playing is another person then the per the the character being portrayed on the screen is another one so they're laying all these realities on top and you have shows on netflix that even show this like the the black mirror as of recently, the first episode where they're talking about like the seed reality, right? The original reality. And then the reality is built on top of that and how, you know, it, it, again, they're, they're put this out there, but Robert, uh, what are your thoughts on it being used to like, cause alchemy at the end of the day is all about bringing forth this change and manipulating and uh, transmuting reality itself. Do you think these movies at all have anything much deeper to them or are they just art? And they're just well, there. The, 
the movie itself, there is there is a section of alchemical films, um, and you can look at them two ways. Uh, the, the the you can look at them as the movies. And these are the rarer ones where you actually have the idea of the actual alchemy of turning base metal into gold. They're few and far between. The only one that really jumps out, jumps off the top of my head, the main one of them all is Goldfinger. Um, and of course, this is where the villain is trying to transmute the gold in Fort Knox to make it worthless, to make his gold supply worth more money. Um, so that's actual physical alchemy. And he's got the the uh, you know the 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 dirty bomb, which is the philosopher's stone. Um, and and one of the things that's always pervasive in these alchemical films is this color scheme um, that denotes the four phases of alchemy: the albedo, the rubido, the uh, citronatus, and the negredo, the the blackening, the moon, the sun, and the finality of the magnum opus, the red. Um, when you see an alchemical movie, those color schemes almost inevitably turn up. Um, but the, 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 the alchemical films that usually are much more, um, you know, out there is where you have what I call the transition of the self movie. Um, this is where the character, usually the protagonist, or at least one of them, starts as something at the beginning of the movie and then uh, winds up you know, as something completely different by the end of the movie. And they go through a change, a transition. Most of the time it's psychological, but you do get the rare instance where it's both or the physical one, uh, you know, where it's a physical uh, transmutation. Uh, the, the movie that comes to mind for that is Black Swan with Natalie Portman, where she, at the end of the movie, is actually this hor horrid, demonic, bird-like creature. Um, and, of course, you can think of The Shining with Kubrick, where Torrance, Jack Torrance, starts off as a kind of this failed writer, failed father. And by the end of it, he's undergone this change and is this psychopathic murderer. Um, so th there's, uh, you know, th those type of, you know, movies, which are highly alchemical. Um, and then you get into the idea of, you know, can the movie affect reality? I mean, sure it can. I mean, look at the example we just gave with The Exorcist. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, you know, look at the Star Wars phenomenon. I mean, you know, the, the movies are pop culture and vice versa. So, you know, they, they can have a, a tremendous uh, influence on, on society, you know, one way or the other. Um, look at uh, look at Star Wars now. I mean, we have the whole day dedicated to it. May, May the 4th, May the Force be with you day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if that's not a cultural impact, I, I don't know what is. And like I said, ask anybody over the age of 40 to speak like a vampire. I mean, that comes straight out of Hollywood. I mean, that's the uh, Lugosi Dracula movie. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, can can movies affect reality? Of course. I mean, you know, that's part of their modus operandi as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm on board with you and I. I always talk about interdimensional literature, like these books that have affected uh, whole entire sections of history, right? Hundreds and thousands of years sometimes. And I think movies are sort of books, right? That are just in a, in a different sort of medium. You have the script and you keep saying casting, right? Like you're casting a sort of spell. You have usually a, a you know, a cast of members. And so let's get into this, this Oz. Cause like I said, I've been reading, uh, Fritz Springmeier and he goes hard on he's got like an entire section where he talks about the the Wizard of Oz and I've always found that super interesting I've never I, I actually have never watched the movies I'll be 100 percent I've never watched the movies but I've seen enough you know my my wife's a big fan of it and she's seen it a few times but I don't I've never actually sat down and watched the movies and I know there's numerous books that a lot of people don't really cover there's like like over over 10 books isn't there so it's 14 books 14 books yeah that's seven doubled uh that's very critical to this yeah the seven son of a seven son 
Yeah, it, 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 from what I can tell, I'm researching this now, there looks like there was some sort of killing curse put down by Native Americans against L. Frank Baum. And this, this hex somehow did not go after him or his family, although it looks like he caught up to one of his sons later on. But somehow or another, this curse attached itself to his books. And from what I can tell, this hex doesn't become active until 1939, when this thing is being turned into a movie. And you have all sorts of disasters on this set. But there's some aspects of this thing that are really striking. And I don't know how this has happened. I don't, it's some, some sort of magical osmosis or, or what have you. Because my initial thought was that Aleister Crowley was behind this. I don't think that to be the case anymore. But if you know anything about The Wizard of Oz, and I could certainly explain it. Um, in Aleister Crowley's Kubala, and this ties into, it's, it's like I said, it's a long story. I'll try to condense this as best I can. It has to do with this thing that contacted him in 1904 called AWAS that predicted this new age of Horus. Um, and it, it, Crowley dedicates the rest of his life trying to explain this to people, this, what this new age me means. And he comes up with a system of Kubala and numbers. Um, and, and one of the things he says in, 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 in his works is he says that the, the, god, the god Horus um, it appears as this god named Heru Raha. Um, and this is the new manifestation of Horus. But then he later says in book four, he says, this thing turns into uh, the goat of Mendes. This is Baphomet. This is the god of the Knights Templar. He said, this is essentially the god of this new age of Horus. Well, if you know anything about the Platonic year and, and of the um, procession of the equinoxes, he's talking about the age of Aquarius here. And what the age of Horus, the Aeon of Horus, and the age of Aquarius run parallel. They're the same things. But then what he does is he, he gives these number designations. And he says when these numbers start popping up, this is a designator, a road sign that this age of Horus is here. And then he lays down, he, he, and in his work, he gets into this killing curse number. They're two separate numbers. The one number, he said, the goat of Mendes' number is 77. And that's Oz, O-Z. And he gets into how he comes up with that. He says, when you start seeing this number turning up, this is when this God is on his way, is coming. And the other number is 42. This is his killing curse number. Now, this is the grand number of the curse. And of course, both these numbers are the Wizard of Oz. So somehow or another, this killing curse has latched on to this movie and is being carried forward in time. And whenever you see these tragedies strike, these numbers 77 and 42 are always there. They're always present. And it ties into two things. It ties into this announcement of this new age of Horus, 77, the goat of Mendez. And it ties into this dark mother. He calls it, Crowley calls the number 42, it's the dark mother. Uh, that's the exact word Crowley uses to describe it as. And it's some sort of very vicious, cruel killing number that these two things work in tandem because whenever you see the number 77, the number 42 is always buried in there. It's a little harder to find. 77 jumps off the page. You, you can see that pretty easily. Um, 
But you move forward from 1939, when you look at these tragedies, uh, you will constantly find these numbers, 77 and 42, all over the damn place. And it, to me, is this curse manifesting two ways. It's both announcing this new age of Crowley, this new god of Crowley, this goat of Mendez, but it's also um, destroying things. It's, it's, it's basically plowing the way by being very destructive. Crowley says that in book, in, in, excuse me, he says it in um, the book of the law. He said it's a god of vengeance and war. Um, so these two numbers seem to appear, or they don't seem, they do appear in, in a lot of tragedies, but they hide. Um, and again, this is something I'm looking at right now. Um, I don't believe this is man-made. Um, I mean, I believe the curse is man-made, but I don't think these images or these numbers are being implanted uh, by humans. I don't see how that would be possible. Um, despite everything I just said, the thing that makes this, the, this study the most interesting is its most macabre aspect. And believe me, when I say macabre, I mean macabre. I mean, because this is utterly morbid. Um, and it sends shivers down your spine when you examine it. It does mine anyway when, when, when I'm doing this. Um, buried in all this bloodshed, in all these tragedies, I mean, the more children that are killed, the more bodies that are, are burnt, uh, the more people that are die, there will always be some sort of illusion, citation, reference, a lot of times visual, to the Wizard of Oz. And that is by far the most interesting aspect of doing this, but it's also by far its most macabre. Um, so I'm convinced that this is happening. I've seen too much evidence of it. I can't, I, I'm still trying to put together how this curse was, you know, created, generated. My, my, my original reaction to this was um, that this, this was Crowley, but I have loads of stuff here on Crowley. I have books that he wrote. I have all the books that he wrote. I have loads of books about Crowley, and there is no mention anywhere in the literature of The Wizard of Oz that he had some sort of bone to pick or that he didn't like it or this, that, and the other. So my research led me back to Baum, um, the guy who wrote it. And what I discovered about him was that after the Battle of Wounded Knee, he called for the genocide of Native Americans. He said that basically every Native American man, woman, and child should be lined up against the wall and shot. So I thought, OK, now, well, now I've got motivation here. Now I've got, uh, you know, I've got some motivation here. And again, I think this was some sort of Native American curse that has gone through some sort of bizarre osmosis, probably from the early 20th century up until 1939, where it didn't go after Baum. It attached itself to its books. But in book form, this thing seems to be dormant. And this thing starts picking up in 1939 i can tell you a couple things about this curse because i've been examining it the last six months it it's a timing sequencer it always moves in numeric sequence and its numbers are 777 777 and 42 those numbers must be present if they are not present this thing has nothing to do with it those numbers will be present on the incident and there will always be some sort of lead up um regarding those numbers to the next event that always seems to happen and it can be um what makes this incredibly a difficult study is the other numbers that you'll see turning up are like 49 which is uh seven squared you know seven times seven um so th those you know it, it can it can hide in like multiples and divisors of these numbers but 
you know, th this to me, despite all the Masonic stuff I've looked at, despite all the symbolism in movies and Young and Campbell and, and Black Swan and The Shining and Repetition, in my opinion, this this killing curse takes the cake. I mean, because I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything where these numbers are just so pervasive. Um, I mean, they're just all over the place. And it's just one event after another. And they just move to it. It's like it's like the string of numbers just keeps moving along um, at these in intervals of seven, seventy seven, 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 seven and forty two. Um, and I can give you some examples if you want. Um, I mean, I've got, you know, uh, a lot written on this. I might have to pull something up here. But, um, you know, I certainly can go further if you want me to. But again, this is something that I'm working on right now for Cinema Symbolism 4. And I can tell you and the audience that this book has gone kind of in a completely different direction than I first anticipated. So almost like this numerical parasite type of thing. Now, do you do you think that there are multiples of these? Because, I mean, we can see numbers and it just makes me think of Pythagoreanism where, right, they worship number and how reality is, is right. All is number is how Pythagoras right. said is, do you think there's numerous of these? Is it like an entity or like, what do you, is like, like a Wendigo or like a skinwalker type of thing going around? It's, it's, it's when I first, when my, my, my initial reaction when I was put onto this with these numbers was, I thought I was looking at a computer program, but I, I dismissed that pretty quickly because there doesn't seem to be any evidence of this prior to 1939. It's 39 afterwards. I, I, I don't know if it's a skinwalker or a windigo. It's, it's a killing curse. And it, it strikes with these numbers. And one of the ways I, I try to describe it is it's like watching a lottery drawing a lot of times. It's one ball, one thing has to come up and then another thing has to come up and then another thing has to come up. And then if a fourth thing comes up, it strikes. And like I said, it, it, it revolves around these four sets of numbers. And when you look, when you examine um, an incident, um, I mean, we'll take 9-11, for example. Um, those numbers are all over the place. I mean, and it feels like a program or a code. Um, and, you, you know, when, when you look at those numbers, then you can start finding Crowley's other numbers. But if we just stick to like. 77 and 7 and 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 42 um you know you, you will find those numbers in columbine you'll find them in uh, the, the murrah building in oklahoma city you'll find them in 9 11 you'll find them in the kennedy assassination uh they hover around helter skelter with charles manson uh, all these negative events produce these numbers and um like i said it's some sort of killing curse uh, in my opinion that is making its run. And I don't see that it's inactive to, to, in my, from what I can tell, this thing is still activated. Um, I, I, I it, it clearly goes beyond nine 11, which I would describe as sort of the main event to this whole thing. This is sort of like the event horizon where, uh, you know, the age of horse is officially here and the age of Pisces is history. Um, but it moves on. It, it continues on after nine 11. I mean, you will clearly find it, uh, you know, in, 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 in the, you know, seven, seven attacks in London, uh, you'll find it with the, uh, Virginia tech shooter. Um, so it goes beyond nine 11. Um, and again, one of the things, not often, um, you know, those numbers will always be there and it takes a little while to find it. But again, the most macabre aspect of this thing is there will always be this allusion to the wizard of Oz in there, in, 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 in all of this. 
Um, so, you know, that's what I'm examining right now. I don't know if it's a skinwalker or a windigo. I would, I, me personally, I call it a death hex or a killing curse. Um, that's, that's the way I describe it. Uh, but like I said, you know, all the other stuff I've looked at aside, this, this thing takes the cake. Because we see the numbers 33 a lot, right? And a lot of these, these events that happen in the mainstream media, uh, you have the number 11, right? So that's why I asked if you think that there's maybe multiples of this or if this is a sort of technology. Because I know Gematrio is really important for these occultists and they use number as a sort of talisman, right? They put it in their name. They put it in everything that they do. I'm sure you're aware of that. So again, sure. I've never, I've never yeah. had it interpreted to me in the way that you're doing, almost like a right uh execute order 66 if you will like in star wars and then everything you know flips on its head well the the, the thing that i would say is if you read crowley's um alistair crowley's kubala uh, he gives you a string of numbers and he said these are the new numbers for the new age and he uses some numbers and he tosses out some numbers um one of the numbers he tosses out is 33 um he says that number is defunct in the age of horse forget about it um the important numbers are, you know, 77. Um, I mean, and, and again, oh, nine and 11 are, are big numbers. And again, you can find um, these, you know, the, the four numbers I mentioned are really the biggies. But, you know, when you get in the 911, you can look at Crowley. You can see what he says about number nine. That's important. You can see what he says about um, the number 11. That's important. One of the numbers that's also very important is, is that the ties into this is the number four. Um, you know, we had four aircraft on 9-11. We had four bombers on 7-7 in London. There were four pairs of ruby slippers, um, things like that. And if you read Crowley, he said, this is the magician's. The number four is the number of the magician's evil weapons. Um, that's his exact description of it. So, um, you know, you know, the, the other numbers are very important. I'm not saying they're not, but it's really these, the, the sequence of, of 7-7-7-7-7-7 and, um, 42. And again, if you read Crowley, 42 is the death number. That's the grand killing curse number. And of course, that's the rainbow. Um, and the Wizard of Oz is, of course, the most famous song is over the rainbow. Over the rainbow in Dramatria has a value. I think it either Pythagorean or reverse Pythagorean reductions. There's different ways to do Dramatria has a number of 77. The Wizard of Oz, the value 77. Um, so again, these are numbers that are come up um, over and over again. But the thing that I can tell you, um, pointedly is these are not being encoded by human beings. Um, this is a supernatural event because human beings can't operate like this. I mean, the CIA doesn't sit there and I mean, can, can the CIA determine how many firefighters die battling the blazes on the twin towers on nine 11? Can the CIA determine how long flight 77 stays airborne? Can the CIA determine, um, how many U U.S. servicemen, uh, uh, um, midshipmen die in the Pentagon? I mean, th those are numbers that are beyond any human's control. So though that to me strikes me as a supernatural event. Um, I mean, sure, you can get into, you know, maybe some of these jihadists were CIA assets, you know, with the CIA involved with the Kennedy assassination. Sure, I I'll go, go along with that all day long. Uh, but what I'm pointing out is there is this very dark, demonic supernatural undercurrent with these events 
that is guiding these things. Um, and that's, that's where I'm at right now with this. So, and Lieber Oz here, I'm checking on a cult decode.com, uh, made by a friend of mine. Uh, the Lee, uh, Lieber Oz is in Latin is six, six, six. And in Trigam, Trigamaton, I guess, Kabbalah. I've never heard of that one. Is 77. You also, but Oz is, Oz is 77. Oz is the goat of Mendez. That's. Oz and the God oh, of yeah, Mendes seven, seven right there, yeah. are 77. That's the God of the New Age. He tells you that point blank. And the do you believe that maybe there's people who can... All right, so you, you have some factors that you can't account for, that you can't predict. But do you think maybe there are some people, right, and these higher-ups, right, the, the people that they like to call the Illuminati or whoever they are, right, the, a group, right, the shadow people... Uh, that can maybe that they're aware of this and they're able to predict when something's going to happen based on, again, the numerical alignment. Because I think this is, you know, you, you have people like John D who I've always said, and I'm working on this. And this is a, a theory I'm working on where the, he was at the forefront really with Mercator and all these guys for the longitude and latitude system, or you have latitude 33, you have all these different ley lines and these energy, these dragon lines and what if, again, this grid that they put around the world was sort of magically charged in some sort of talismanic way? And and, you're, and these wizards, again, similar to you mentioned the art of memory and the memory theater. Well, the idea that you're able to tap into the model, right, into the energy from the model, from a simulacra of the of the bigger area, you know, by, again, the magician, it's, it's, it's remote viewing. It's what they show in Stranger Things and all these other shows. Uh, do you think maybe there's some people out there who can predict this, this numerical well, hex, the 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 killing? Well, well, curse? What, what I well, what I what I, I tried to do it. I, I, I well, so what I did was, knowing what I know about the way this curse works. I try. Well, he, here's here's my problem with this. With, with 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 what kind of you're saying is, I don't dispute the fact that there's like you know the CIA was involved with Kennedy and maybe 9/11 and stuff like that. But the problem I have is this hex did in Kobe Bryant. This hex killed Carrie Fisher. And I can't come up with a reason why they would want her, those people dead. Um, but their numbers are no good. Um, Kobe Bryant's numbers are atrocious. Um, I mean, it's, it's the, one of the worst. He has one of the worst numbering sequences I've ever seen. Um, I mean, he really played with fire with this thing. Um, so what I did was what I've been doing now is, and it's funny you bring this up is based on my knowledge of this curse and the way it operates. I started looking at celebrities and I started looking at their numbering sequences and I started seeing, you know, who has bad ones and who has good ones um, or, 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 you know, or who has none whatsoever. Um, so I, I went to, you know, a couple celebrities, um, you know, that I grew up with. I was born in 71. I looked at Madonna's, um, hers wasn't great, but it didn't make me sit up in my chair. Um, I think I looked at uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, again, not great, but nothing alarming. I looked at Sandra Bullock's. Hers aren't. Hers are bad. Um, and as I was, it, it was funny because on the very day I was looking Sandra Bullock up because um, she was in it with Speed um, with, with with Keanu. Um, she, her 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 boyfriend has just died. And on the same day, that was the day that the Michael Orr lawsuit was announced against the Tua family. And that was when she won the Oscar for playing, I think it was Leanne Tua 
in, in the Blind Side movie, and people were online calling for her to give the Oscar back. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, well, maybe this is it. You know, maybe this is the hex getting her, you know, by killing her boyfriend and, and, and this problems that's having. This could be it for her. The, the only artist right now, the only person I could tell you whose numbers suck, I mean, are, are, are atrocious, uh, is Taylor Swift. Um, she, she, she is, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball here. I'm not wishing anybody any harm, but um, I'm not liking what I'm seeing at all with her. Um, you know, listen, she could live to be 95 for all I know, and I hope she does. But, I, you know, based on what I'm seeing with this thing, um, you know, you know, I, she, she's I, she's playing with a little fire right now. And um, like I said, the one thing that this thing, the way this thing seems to work is it's like watching a lottery drawing. It's one number. Something has to hit. Then something else has to hit. Then something else has to hit. Then something else has to hit. Then on that fifth day, if something hits you're in trouble. And that's the way I can kind of describe this, uh, you know, playing out. So, you know, I try doing it. I mean, I, like I said, I don't consider myself a psychic or a soothsayer or anything like that, but I, I, I have kind of knowing what I think I know about this curse, you know, looking forward, you know, can, can I maybe see the divine something in and, uh, you know, out, out of some of the celebrities I've looked at, um, you know, her, her, her numbers, weren't the best let's leave it at that yeah and, and you had that whole amnesia there's people who were having amnesia at her at her concerts uh, concerts recently where people would go and they were just forgetting everything which is which is weird yeah. and then weird. you have do you have anything on travis scott because i know he's kind of you know speaking of cursed films he has he came out with this right we know what happened with him at the World concert and all these different things and it seems that every time he has a concert, people get hurt. But he was supposed to do that concert at the Pyramids of Giza. That ended up getting canceled because supposedly the officials didn't agree with the, something along the religious beliefs or something or other. But he has a film that's coming out with A24, the A24 uh, production company. Sure. And I've been told before that those movies are cursed and they have that, that really, really creepy movie hereditary where it's about invoking right paimon this this prince of hell into a human right and they do the whole thing i mean that that movie's crazy but the idea again this is all this is all larping in, in a sort of way right these people are doing that and the people when they were writing that movie they were taking from actual grimoires and putting things together for specifically for that movie so they were literally getting different lines from different grimoires on the lure of this Paimon and, and putting it together in the movie. And I mean, they talk about yeah, it. That, that carries forward. That's interesting because hereditary was a movie is a movie I'm taking on a cinema symbolism for. Um, I haven't seen Ari Aster's latest movie, which I think is called Bo is afraid. I haven't seen that yet, but what's interesting about um, the whole thing with hereditary and Paimon is the the hereditary movie draws a lot from the exorcist there's a lot of imagery um from the exorcist that he implants in that movie and of course both movies are about demonic possession so it would make sense um astor loves foreshadowing stuff um that's his big kick um he loves he loves using little techniques to foreshadow what's going to happen in the movie you know five ten minutes 20 minutes a half an hour ahead um and you get that in the exorcist too um there's a technique that black uh that freaking uses 
in The Exorcist. It's one of the best foreshadows in, in all of movies um, that 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 he uses in um, The Exorcist. And Astor play, plays into that. Um, I always felt that um, Astor's second movie, Midsommar, was highly demonic. I thought that was as oh, creepy yes. as... And, of course, you had the invocation of payment in that one. Um, really? Because, in that oh, one as well? Well, the the whole the whole the whole Midsummer movie revolves around the number nine. Um, if you pay attention to it, the nine is invoked all over the place in that movie. Um, it has an, it has two meanings. The number nine is, of course, uh, a key number in in Norse mythology, and of course, it's set in you know you know the the wherever it was Sweden and, and, you know, the, the, the Norse mythology uh, with, with Midsommar. So number nine is all over the place uh, regarding Norse mythology. But of course, in Ars Goetia, uh, the lesser key of Solomon, payment is the ninth demon. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So you got to, you know, you got to continue on the invocation into Midsommar with the human sacrifice at the end, which is wow. really sort of, to me, the invocation is continuing the story of the invocation of payment. Wow, and that's crazy because again, if we're if we are hinting at that movies are are used as a sort of manifestation device, what a creepy thing to do where you continue the same chosenone.com. Go visit chosenone.com. It's easy to remember if you just sing along. Chosenone.com. Go visit chosenone.com. The chosen one, yes, he is the chosen one. He's got his own comic, and now he's got his own song. Cause he's the chosen one, yes, he is the chosen one. Go buy a copy at chosenone.com. Chosenone.com. Go visit chosenone.com. It's easy to remember. If you just sing along, chosenone.com. Go visit chosenone.com. Same sort oh, of yeah. of invocation, if you will, right? In, in a series, and in, in, in uh, you know, consecutively, because Midsummer did come out before, right? That was the movie that came out before. No, it comes out after Hereditary. Came out after Hereditary. Yeah, Hereditary. Out. I think was seventeen, and Midsummer and Midsummer is nineteen. I twenty nineteen. Dang, Hereditary is kind of old. I didn't know it was that old. Yeah, it's twenty eighteen. Yeah. But like, pay, when you watch, when you go back and watch Midsummer, you're gonna want to pay attention to the number nine in it because that's pervasive. I mean, it's hidden, but it's in there. I mean, one of the things, if you, if, if from the ver from the very beginning of it, when Danny, oh, and by, by the way, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Midsommar is a retelling of the Wizard of Oz. Um, I mean, you have the girl going to the magical land with the three travelers. Same sort of, you know, themes going on. It's only much darker. Danny has her Gnostic epiphany, you know, where she realizes she's a death dealer. Dorothy has her Gnostic epiphany at the end of uh, the, the Wizard of Oz. You know, Danny, Dorothy, same thing. Um, but when you watch, uh, like the one that I just recall when you watch Midsommar at the very beginning of it, when Danny calls her parents' house, um, her message is the ninth message. Um, and again, when you watch it, try to keep your eye out for the number nine uh, because it's 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 very it, it's it's very pervasive. The the number nine is is critical in Norse mythology, so it does have a meaning there. But again, it's the it's it's payment. It's the ninth demon continuing one from Hereditary. I'm convinced of that. Wow. Yeah. And, and is, are they coming out with 
any more movie. I know that they're gonna they're gonna produce Travis Scott's. They're doing a collaboration with Travis Scott. And, and yeah, th- th- I know that name. Refresh my memory who he is. Uh, I know that name, but it's, I'm drawing a blank right now. So Travis Scott is the the rapper, and I think he was involved with the Kardashians. Let me. I could be completely wrong about that. So this is Travis Scott here. He's known for for Astro World, and he has like this weird symbolism that he he's known for this the concert where a bunch of people died. You have the no, portal. Right. So again, very Kabbalistic, very demonic. He was going to do the, the, the concert in Giza and they ended up canceling it. Weird. Because supposedly the officials didn't agree with the, the religious views or something or other, but he's got some really, look at this. He's got almost like Crowley-esque here, like this, this cover here, you have the sun, you have the disc up here. And he also has some homunculus references, too. He's got, like, some weird totems going on. Again, very Kabbalistic, but, you know, some people would say, oh, it's just symbolism. And other people would say, no, it's symbolism to control the masses. What's your take on these elites using this sort of symbolism in their work? Do you think it's they do it to be edgy do you think maybe they do it to to invoke something how we're seeing in these movies midsummer and and hereditary what do you think the reasoning behind them using that sort of stuff or is it just right to tell a good story but what a weird story to tell and what a right what a bizarre and that's what i love about alchemy because you'll just look at all these alchemical plates of what these guys were trying to to portray back then and it's like were they really onto something did they really hold secrets or were they just pulling everyone's leg and just just drawing cool stuff <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. what's the whole thing behind it <laughs> well i mean i think i think again my 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 examination of this is i don't think there's one answer um i think you have to look at it on a case-by-case study um you know, could this person be using it for this? Could this person be using it for that? I mean, you know, again, what you have said is is all, all valid reasons. I mean, it could be a person is trying to manipulate the masses. He's trying to be provocative. It could be just like you said, for show business, um, you know, to get people talking about it, to be provocative. Um, certainly in my books, um, I use little, you know, you know, clues and hints and do things in my books um, that are codes and here and there. So, you know, I'm guilty of it also. Um Again, I just think it has to do with the artist. Um, I, ha- I think it has to do with the sophistication of the artist. Um, I mean, I think some artists are much better at this than others. Um, you know, to me, like in just going to movies, um, you know, I think, you know, someone like, um, you know, Stanley Kubrick, Darren Aronofsky, Aaron Astar, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, David Lynch. I mean, these are people, you know, Spielberg, Lucas. Um, Robert Zemeckis, these are people who are really adroit with this material, know what they're doing, um, you know, and, and, and are, are very, you know, experts with this. Um, you know, I, I, I look at some other directors, eh, not so much. Um, same, same thing with, you know, you know, any other performer. I mean, I, I look at some musicians, filmmakers, you know, I mean, I, I think that there's a, you know, decidedly expert use of the occult when I look at what, like the Beatles, you know, or the Rolling Stones, um, you know, bands like that, you know, maybe even the Grateful Dead to an extent that that really some sort of know what they're doing. I think people, 
maybe some of the rappers nowadays, you know, it's, it's more just as a, uh, you know, a shock value thing. Um, that's kind of my take on it, but I don't think there's one answer. Um, again, my, my, it's like, it's like a movie. Um, it, you, you can't really, it's like, it's like symbolism in movies. You can't apply, at least in, in, in my experience, and the way I do it is, you know, I, I don't apply a blanket answer across the board. I look at each movie um, on its own because um, what I have found is in some movies, a symbol or a theme may mean this, but in something in another movie, it may mean this. And that makes sense in the world of symbolism. I mean, you know, symbols have multiple meanings. It depends on their context. So uh, my answer is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it can be done for any variety of reasons, um, you know, and of course, attention getting is is one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could it be malignant. Sure. Could it be also positive? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it, it's just the creator's in, in, intent. Um, I mean, I look at I mean, there are some movies I've mentioned this on other shows that to me, I mean, I, I what I describe is like the devil is in the celluloid um, that are just very dark and very you know sinister. I mean, Midsommar is one of them. Uh, the Exorcist is another another movie that I, I put in that category. And this may be a little surprising because it goes back in time is uh, The Black Cat with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, a very dark movie for 19, I think, 34, 32, wherever it was. You know, I mean, this is a movie that deals with necrophilia, uh, Satanism. The the Karloff character is clearly a, a Crowley stand in. Um, so, you know, again, a, a, a very, very dark movie there. Um, but, you know, again, I look at each thing on its own and take it from there. This one right here, nineteen thirty-five. Uh, no, that's the Black Room. We want to oh. go to the Black Cat. Whoops, the Black Cat. And I think it's thirty-four. It's the one with like, yeah, there it is, thirty-four. There you go. That's the one. Yep, that's it. The Black Room. I've ever seen that one. <laughs> you know, I haven't. I haven't seen it. So it looks pretty good though. It says embraced by the devil. Yeah, I mean, yeah, gotta check that one out. Good grief. By 1935, ignoring an ancient prophecy, evil brother Gregor seeks to maintain his feudal power on his Tyrolean estate by by murdering and impersonating his benevolent younger younger twin. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So I haven't seen that one. What are your thoughts on these movies that get banned from certain countries for being too dark? Right, and I, and I've always talked about how cinema, in particular, I mean nowadays you have. Have you? Uh, are you gonna do a decode on the Squid Games at all? You know, I've I've never I've never uh, watched an episode of the Squid Oof. Games. Um, the, the the problem the problem with TV shows is um, it's just so time consuming. Yeah. It's just so time consuming. I mean, one of the one one of the things I took on in CS three was Twin Peaks. Um, oh, man. I mean. And it took me all summer. I mean, it, it literally took me three, four months to do this because I had to sit down, watch all the episodes, which I did. Then I had to watch the movie, um, which I did. And then I Don't had to spoil watch it the- for me because I have to watch it. I keep hearing. Oh, I, won't. I have colleagues who keep telling me about it. And they're like, hey, you know, you got to check this out. I got you. It's super, super good. And I got to get into it. But I hear yeah, it's a if, grind. If, you, if you're going to watch if you're going to watch Twin Peaks, I mean, be prepared to set some serious time aside because you have two seasons of the TV show. Uh, then you have a movie uh, and then you have another TV show. Uh, there's one that came out about four or five years ago called The Return, I think, which was on Showtime. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's time consuming, uh, to say the least. So to be honest with you, I do somewhat sidestep TV shows a lot of the time. I have done them. 
I did I did all the twin Twin Peaks and I did all the Bates Motel tell uh, from A and E. So I have taken one. Sometimes I re- reference just an episode. I've done that, of course, with The Simpsons. I've done that with the X Files, of course. Uh, so I have cited just individual uh, television shows. Oh, and the one um, that I'm doing in Cinema Symbolism for, my God. Uh, there's this old TV show called uh, from the early 60s called Route 66. Um, and there's about four episodes in there uh, that predict the Kennedy assassination right on the money. Um, and the one that really nails it also has a lot of 9-11 references in it. Uh, so that's interesting. So, you know, I do I do take on television shows, but, you know, it is it is what it is. It's a uh, arduous study. Yeah, no, definitely. And I can relate because, I mean, I'm always doing research for my show and, and different things. So most definitely. I mean, but again, the the whole cinema thing, you could watch it. It's there. So there's definitely no shortage of things to decode. That's for sure. Right. You'll, you'll be busy for a while. And oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You keep mentioning JFK. You mentioned earlier how and also you said 77 and 42 well, a 24, right? 42 there you got the two and the four which is interesting and the kennedy assassination and i know you had something on the missing brain of jfk which i've never heard about but that piqued my interest well like like for for example i mean i'll just get into this briefly with 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 jfk what i said it what i basically said you know in 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 the novel or in cinema symbolism four which i'm writing not a novel um is essentially you know daily plaza camelot got turned into the land of oz um i'd have to pull it up but you know the name hang on let me let me just do this real fast so so i'm not giving so i know what i'm talking about here give me one second here Here all good yeah Yeah. that's that's that jumped out to me when you said i'm missing brand i'm like hmm I mean, so here, let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about with this killing curse, just so people have a, a brief idea. So the name Lee Harvey Oswald in reverse Pythagorean reduction has a value of 77. Um, the Zapruder frame that shows Kennedy's headshot um, is frame 313, which is, of course, three plus one plus three is seven. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly shot Kennedy from a seven story building. Uh, that's the book, school book dis- depository. Of course, this is the land of Oswald, Oz, the Wizard of Oz, of course, Oswald, O-Z, not O-S, Mr. 77. And of course, Kennedy had his brains blown out approaching Route 77. Um, so this is how this curse manifests. Of course, it kills his brother, Robert Kennedy, um, who's, let me, I'd have to pull this up, but Give me a minute here. Because there's a curse also associated with that family too, because they've all seemed to No, but this is the Wizard of Oz. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll tell you exactly, hang on one sec. Because you this one's hard to believe, even for me. It's all just a coincidence, Robert. I'm sure of it. I can I can hear the people. Oh well, a... this is a coincidence. This is the greatest string of coincidences <laughs> I've ever seen. Right. Bobby Kennedy was born on November 20th, 1925. That has that date has a reverse that, excuse me, has a Pythagorean reduced value of 77. Uh, He was killed at age 42, uh, which is, of course, the dark mother. Um, And he was killed in the Ambassador Hotel. And if you don't know, the Ambassador Hotel um, was where in 1940, the Wizard of Oz lost to uh, the Gone with the Wind best Oscar. So there's our little mocking Wizard of Oz reference. The other brother. Teddy Kennedy 
was killed on August 25th. He died, didn't, wasn't killed, excuse me, died on August 25th, 2009 at age 77. And August 25th, 2009 is the 70th anniversary of the theatrical release of The Wizard of Oz. So you can see how this thing moves around and how this number, this kill number, um, turns up turns up with these people. And again, we find the same thing at Columbine. We find the same thing at the Murrah building. Uh, we can find the same thing at, at 9-11. Uh, we find the same thing. I mean, it's all over the place when, when you start breaking this stuff down. The, 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 those numbers are just all over the place. I mean, uh, hang on. I'll give you a couple more examples here. Um, flight. What is it? Oh, hang on. I got I to gotta, I gotta open this up. And also, I want to point out that our friend Lynn L- Lyman Frank Baum. Is that how you say his name? Lyman? Lyman Frank Baum. That's it. He died May 6, 1919. So you have the 9-11 there as well in the 1919, which is interesting. I mean, here, here's a couple for you. I mean, I, like I said, I won't. I won't I won't go too far with this. I mean, here's here's some of the things. I mean, I, I don't think this can be implanted by human beings. Um, the first plane on 9-11, Flight 11, hit the North Tower at 8.46 a.m. The last plane at, at Shanksville crashed at 10.03 a.m. That's 77 minutes later. Um, oh, here's a good one. Fl- this is another one of Crowley's numbers. Flight 11 departed Logan international airport on runway 4r um 4r r is the 18th letter of the alphabet that's 418 yeah. uh if you read crowley that's the that's the number of abrahadabra mm. 418 that's the uh, magic word of the new age of horus um the date 11 September the, the two words 11th september has a value of 77 um let me see here let me uh yeah 418 is is important that's that's an important that's the word that's going to usher in the the new and I've talked about that before. And supposedly yeah. he told everybody that he got in touch with Iowa's on April 18th. And then it turns out that it was actually on April 1st, April Fools, so I don't know. And that's that's quoting Grant, Kenneth Grant that obviously Yeah, he he contacted him. It was the early days of um August, or excuse me, April of 04. Uh one second here. Give me a second. I'm just pulling. I'm just scanning this document as fast as I can. Oh, flight flight 77. This is the the flight 77 out of Dulles departed at 8:20 a.m. and it crashed into the 77 foot tall seven story Pentagon 77 minutes later at 9:37 a.m., which is 577 minutes into the day. Interesting. There's a good 77 for you on 9/11, and of course one of the flights, um, one of the flights uh, struck the 77th floor of the World Trade Center. Um, the number, another number that's critical to Crowley, that um, that turns up on 9/11 all over the place, and this is the number of AWOS. The messenger is 93. Um, that that's a number that manifests. Not once, not twice, but six times on 9-11 is the number 93. Hang on, let me see if I can't pull that up for you real fast. And have you documented any current day events, like current events that have happened, like the Maui fires or anything? Does that have any 
You know, there probably is, but I haven't. Um, hang on one second. Let me pull this up. I haven't looked at it. I haven't applied the numbers to it. I'd have mm-hmm. to look at it. But it, but it could. It could. It certainly could. Um, hang on. Let me. Where the hell is? No, that's not it. Looking here to see if I, because uh, I have a. Yeah, the the number the number ninety three strikes. This is the, the number ninety three in Crowley is the the number of awas, and in Greek gematria ninety three is the value of do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. That's the you know maximum of the new age, the new age of Horus. The number ninety three appears six times on nine eleven. Uh, of course, we have flight ninety three. That's the easy one. The two flights that hit. The two towers is flight 175 and 11. If you add them together, you get 186, which is 93 plus 93. Uh, flight 175 hit the South Tower at 9.03 a.m. You drop the 0, 93. Um, and there was, there was, of all the deaths of the two, whatever it was, the nearly 3,000 deaths were from 93 different countries. So... You know, right? There's, there's your ninety-three. Yeah. Uh, you know, for that, they, I mean, they, they, the thing is overloaded. The, 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 the forty-two um, is is very well concealed. The, the, the um, coordinates. Hang on one second. Let me see if I can't find this. Just so people have an idea of what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to come on and say this stuff. And uh, no, I mean, and just, and the World Trade Center coordinates. The old World Trade Center coordinates, this is interesting, um, is is north is 40, 42, 42. Um, so there's your dark mother twice because you have two towers. 40 is four plus zero or four. That's the weapon of the evil magician. So we had four aircraft. Then it's westerly coordinates are 74, 00, 45. 74 is 11, 00 is nothing, and 45 is nine for 9-11 backwards. So... There's your dark mother hiding there at 42. Flight 93, this is the one that crashed uh, in Shanksville, was delayed 42 minutes on the runway. And Flight 11, when it struck the Pentagon, came in at a 42-degree angle. So that's, that's where the dark mother hides. She, she's hard to pin down. That, that, that kill number, that, that 42 kill number, is always hard to find in these things. Sometimes it stares you right in the face. Um, for example, let me let me pull this up real fast. So again, people have an idea. Um, this one is always an interesting one. I always found was we go to Columbine. Um, Columbine. Let me pull this up. Columbine. This is the shooting of Klebold and Harris, and Klebold was born on 9/11/81. That's 20 years beforehand. Um, so let's see here. Columbine. I spelled it wrong. So Columbine, the date, the date of the shooting, April 20th, 1999, um, has a value of 77 in Pythagorean reduction. The massacre of Klebold and Harris lasted from 11.19 a.m. to 12.08 p.m. That's 49 minutes. That's seven squared, uh, seven, seven. Um, and the movie that inspired them to kill was, oh, I may not have that here, was Natural Born Killers. 
that movie was released and this is again this is this numeric numeric timing sequence was released on august 26th 1994 that's 55 years and a day after the wizard of oz opened in cinemas and again this is the mocking wizard of oz reference that's exactly two twenty thousand ninety days which is seven times 2870 or seven times 287 so again this thing always moves around in these numbers of seven and 70 or seven 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 seventy seven that's always the way this this moves around in um from August 26th, excuse me, from August 25th, 1939 to the date of the Columbine Massacre, which is August 26th, 1990, uh, which was from that, excuse me, was when Natural Unborn Court Killers was released. This is the movie that inspired them. That was released on August 26th, 1984. That's also 200, 2000, excuse me, 2,870 weeks, which is seven times 410 or 70 times 41. So again, this is all at being shifting around based on the number seven is how this thing moves around. Um, crazy stuff. The T-shirts that they wore, um, Klebold, Klebold wore a T-shirt. Hang on, let me pull this up. So again, people have an idea of what I'm talking about here. I don't want people thinking I'm just pulling this out. Of Klebold, Klebold had a black T-shirt on that had the word Wrath printed on it. That has an ordinal value of 70 um, in base Dramatria. Um Natural selection was what was on Harris's shirt, and that has a value of 189, um, and that's seven times 27. So again, the number seven all over the place. Um, one of the ones that's another one we can turn to is Sandy Hook, of course. Um, let me pull this one up. Sandy Hook was um, what inspired Lanza. This is the shooter at Sandy Hook. Was a guy in 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 um, in Norway named Anders Behring Breviak. Um, and he went on a killing rampage on July 22nd, 2011. Was on the mosque? No, that's the guy. In, uh, I, I get into him too, but that this is, this is Breviak. This is the Norway shooter. Um, and he, he attacked on July 22nd, 2011. Um, July is of course the seventh month. And of course, two, two, one, one, those are double numbers. That's what's called the dyad in Crowley's system. Those are ill numbers. Those are bad numbers. Um, Anders killed 77 people, and that inspired Lanza to go on his killing rampage at Sandy Hook. He said he was trying to beat his high score. He viewed the whole thing as a video game. Um, he killed, let's see, he killed 26 people, and he wounded two, which is 26 plus two is 28. That's seven times four. Lanza's birthday is April 22nd, 1992. That has a sum of 77 in Gematria using Pythagorean reduction. And when he was in Sandy Hill, he squeezed off exactly 154 rounds. That's 77 times two um, or 77, 77. Um, so again, these are just, uh, you know, numbers all over the place. Um, the one that was interesting was with Columbine. Let me just jump back to there real fast. This one, this one, this one was really was difficult for me to 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 uncover because this one was staring me in the face I, I i did all sorts of research in the column by looking for this number 42 the dark mother this is again crowley's kill number um and this walks hand in hand with 77 um she's like the dark mother sort of like the dark satanic force behind 77 um i, I searched high and low for 42 for that number in columbine i looked everywhere for it i could not find it anywhere 
I searched high and low for it. And lo and behold, it was staring me in the face the entire time. And of course, 42 is the date. April is the fourth month and the 20th. Two plus zero is two, four, two. So there's uh there there she is hiding and right four, in plain sight. 420 is also with Crowley with the it was supposedly part of the Amalantra Alamantra I, f- I forgot how to say it the workings that he got in touch with Lamb through it was it was a series of workings and on 420 they documented that they were taking hashish or something like that he writes in his journals and so Crowley said that 33 is not a good number in the Aeon of Horus now. It's the kill number. 33. He said that it was no good in his system, right? He doesn't address it at all. He does not address 33. The closest you'll get to is 3 and 333. Um, and you will get the 333, which is the demon Corazon. Yeah. Um, that, that's the demon Corazon is his number. The, the and, yeah, and what's what's interesting about Corazon is with three 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 is this is the demon that apparently uh, took control of Victor Newberg mm-hmm. uh, out in the deserts of Africa. This was uh, you know the dweller of the abyss. Um, what what and this ties into the the Wizard of Oz killing curse um, is if if you look at the man who made the ruby slippers, there were four sets of them. Then if you read Crowley's numbers. Um, Four is the number of the evil magician's weapons. Um, there were four sets of ruby slippers made for the Wizard of Oz. And um, the man who made them was a man who went by his last name. His name was Adrian, a uh, very famous a- MGM costume designer. He's one of the most famous. Um, and his birth date is March 3rd, 03, for 333, um, of all things. So I always found that interesting. This is probably one of the ways this curse worked its way into the Ruby slippers. Ruby always turns up in all these things, yeah. um, by the way. I mean, in Columbine, uh, Columbine, the name of the school is a flower, a heirloom Columbine. And its most famous one is the Ruby port. Again, this is an allusion to the Ruby slippers. Of course, Lee Harvey Oswald is done in by the Ruby slippers or Jack Ruby. Um, so The reason I you- bring up 33, because it's tied to to jfk to to segue back to jfk because they i've always heard people talk about that that was a king kill 33 ritual and no you don't agree with that the king kill no. 33 <laughs> no i don't buy into any of that stuff with kennedy kennedy was a secret society man he was in a, a secret society known as the um uh known as the knights of columbus um so all that talk about you know secret societies by him that's all hypocritical talk uh he's he's one of them and what happened to his brain? Is there something occult yeah. with that? Did they take it and start worshiping it or what? No, it was, um, this was a story that was related to me by a Kennedy insider. Um, I've, I've been on other shows shows about this. It's been a while since I talked about it. it it's a good talking point. Um, I will say to you and your audience that everything I'm about to say, and I say this as a lawyer, is hearsay. Um, I have no documental, not documented evidence other than someone told me a story. But the person that told me the story, I believed, and it does make sense. And again, it's hearsay testimony. I have no firsthand knowledge of this. Um, If you've ever watched the movie JFK with, or let me close this out real fast. If you ever watched the movie JFK with uh, Oliver Stone, um, there's a scene in it where they try to subpoena the brain as as evidence um, to try to find out where the the trajectory of the bullet, where it came from. And of course, the brain is missing. Uh, No no one knows where it is. Uh, Years ago, uh, I'm not going to na- identify the person other than to say that he or she is no longer alive. Uh, I was I was talking to this person. Again, this is many, many moons ago. 
And somehow or another, in, in a conversation, this person was a Kennedy insider. Kennedy's JFK's missing brain got brought up. And this person said, oh, I, I know where it is. And this person related a story to me, which I will be more than happy uh, to share with you uh, and the audience. And again, just to reiterate, this is hearsay testimony. Uh, this is just what I was told, but I believe the story. Um, the the story goes, and this is true, this part is true, that um, when Kennedy was uh, at Bethesda and they did the autopsy on him, his brain was removed. That's true. And it was kept at the National Archives. That's also true. Um, it was actually evidence of the, the, the murder. It was, you know, the trajectory of the bullet. Um, I have no knowledge of how the brain was stored. I presume logic tells me it was kept in a jar, probably in formaldehyde or some sort of, you know, preserving agent of some kind. Um, and of course, when Garrison years later, when he was trying Clay Shaw, um, I believe in 68, 69, he subpoenaed the National Archives to get the brain and lo and behold, it was gone. Um, the story that was told to me, and again, I have no right reason to dispute it, but I can't prove it either, was that um, in 1967, um, and this is true, Kennedy's body was moved in Arlington. It was moved to where it is now. It was moved about 20 feet from where it was originally interred in 1963, and it was moved uh, to a more advantageous location right under the house, Robert E. Lee's old mansion overlooking Washington, D.C. with the torch burning on it. So it was moved about 20 feet. Um, and the story that I was told was that in when, when the body was being moved, um, the attorney general, Robert F. Kennedy, went into the National Archives and removed the brain um, and buried it with his brother, put it in his brother's coffin and buried it. The reason for that was his motivation was he was deadly afraid that the um, that the. Um, that the brain was going to fall into the hands of some sort of carnival barker or sideshow and become part of a freak show. And he was deathly terrified of that. So he wanted it gone. So he buried it with John F. Kennedy's body. Um, again, I have no, I did not witness this. I have no firsthand knowledge of this. This was told to me by someone I trust that I would describe to you and your audience as a Kennedy insider. I have no reason to dispute the story. I can't prove it otherwise. But that's my understanding of where Kennedy's brain was. I was on a show, it was Coast to Coast AM, about six or seven months ago, and a caller came in. I, I told the story there, and a caller came, called in and made a great point of this. And, and one of the things, so someone, someone said, look, the point was raised. They said, wouldn't RFK, who believed that there was a conspiracy involved, wouldn't, wouldn't he have wanted to keep the brain to as evidence to show that the shot came from the front and not behind. And I said, huh, I never thought of that. And then another caller came in and said, no, they said the, 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 the brain within about two years after being kept in, even the most hardcore preserving agents would have turned to liquid um, after about in about night by about 1965, 66, the brain would have, you know, been liquefied and it would have been impossible anyway. So um, that made sense to me. Um, and again, the story was that Robert Kennedy took it in 1967 from the archives, probably didn't have permission, tried an inside job and buried it with his brother when it was moved in Arlington. That's the story of where I understand John F. Kennedy's brain is. Again, it's hearsay. Um, I have no firsthand knowledge of this, but it was related to me by someone I trust. And I, I have no reason to dispute the story. Yeah, I'd never even I, I just looked this up now. I'd never even have heard about this about the missing brain of so yeah in 66 
was found to be missing from the National Archives. And then it goes, conspiracy theorists often claim that the brain may have shown a bullet from the front. It has also suggested that Robert Kennedy destroyed the brain. What an interesting, interesting turn of events. Again, I've, I've never dived too deep into the whole JFK thing. And again, that's why I didn't know about this. But the idea of them wanting to hide something and, and it would be with that, right? I mean, that would tell the, the full story, I guess. That would be the 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 smoking gun, no pun intended, that would put all these other theories to rest and the, the, the second shooter and all these different things, you know, that, that would be it, that brain, but that's long gone now. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if the brain was liquefied, it would be impossible to identify anything anyway. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the story was that Kennedy RFK didn't want it in the hands of a collector or a sideshow yeah. or in a freak show. So, I mean, he had, you know, he, he had motivation um, to do this. And again, you know, that's the story that was told to me, believe it or not, you know, whatever, whatever. But, you know, I have no reason to disbelieve it. Yeah, and no, I, I that would make sense. I like yeah, to think right. that maybe maybe somebody took it <clears throat> and and started to do some occult stuff with it. Right. I mean, you have the whole skull and bones and what they do with different you have different yeah, got, uh, who, who do they have they've got geronimo martin van buren and pancho villa is the story with skull and bones i believe martin van buren really martin van buren the one of the presidents yeah they've got his skull allegedly pancho villa and geronimo and of course geronimo's was allegedly stolen by prescott bush which is george bush 41's father and w's grandfather all of them were skull and bones yeah um and then that one, that one, there, there, that, that conspiracy had some good legs to it. Um, there is a lot of strong evidence to suggest that that is an Illuminati lodge, or is at least the continuation of the old Bavarian Illuminati of Weishaupt. Yes. Um, I mean, there is some very pervasive, uh, you know, not pervasive, uh, persuasive evidence of that. And um, yeah, I mean, that that does seem to be has legs to it, no question. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, again, back to this magically charged thing, and, and you also have beliefs that, as you mentioned, the goat of Mendes or Mendes earlier, you got Baphomet, and the idea of the Knights Templar had the head of John the Baptist. You have all these talismans that they keep, again, to to do, Lord knows what, to prophesize to them, to do whatever they they think that they're extracting magical essence from it. And, yeah, no, most definitely. I think that these... And the issue is, I always tell people, you know, this is all very bizarre to hear about. This is all very alarming. This could, it's unsettling, but think about it. The idea that secret societies exist. I mean, you're, you're a Freemason, right, Robert? You're, you're sure, part of, of, a, of, of, of a lodge. The idea that that concept is a thing. I mean, you know, there's actual organizations out there of people who get together. Oh, yeah. Now, what they do behind closed doors, that's up for, for the, that's where the conspiracies come from. But yes, these are real things and they have their own sets of beliefs that they. That Absolutely. They I mean, I, I always tell people, you know, as a lawyer, you know, conspiracy is a criminal charge. It's a real thing. Um, you can be charged as being part of a conspiracy. It might be a little hard to prove, mm -hmm. but it is an actual, you know, criminal charge, you know, on the books you know, on Maryland statutes, you know, or whatever state you live in, mm -hmm. you know, or even federally, you know, there is a criminal charge of conspiracy. So they do exist. 
Um, if they didn't exist, there would be no criminal charge. Um, and again, you know, with, with Freemasonry, I've been in it. I just got the flyer. Um, I just got the, e the, the communication email to me um, a couple days ago, actually, from my lodge. And um, they start, you, I don't know if you're aware of this, um, lodges, Masonic lodges, it's what's called going dark. Um, in the summer months, they don't meet. Um, because uh, it, it goes back to the day there was no air conditioning in the lodges and they became too hot um, in the summer months. Um, so Masonic lodges never met in July and August. They would pick up, they'd basically end in the middle, around the middle of June and pick up around the beginning of September. Um, and that continues on to this day. It's called Going Dark. Um, and I just got the communique um, for my lodge uh, emailed to me. We do it by email now, of course. And um, I am coming up in September will be my 26th anniversary of being a uh, member of the lodge. I couldn't believe it. It's like, where does the time go? Uh, good grief. But yeah, I mean, I've been involved with Freemasonry now for you know, 26 years. Um, over that, actually, if you go and I go back uh, to the entered apprentice degrees, you know, to when I first, you know, 27, you know, when I first started petitioning it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Freemasonry without question, you know, incorporates a lot of mystical aspects. I mean, you have, things related to alchemy and Gnosticism and magic um, and, you know, necromancy even, um, you know, and you get you get the retelling of the, you know, dying and resurrected solar god man, Osiris, Egypt, Orpheus. Um, you know, that's all present there. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a very esoteric um, ritual, at least. And, um, you know, the, the, the order used to have much more than, you know, the, the brotherhood, uh, the lodge used to have much more of a occult flair to it. Uh, that's really kind of washed away uh, in the 1820s. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I've been involved with it for 20, 26 years. And, you know, even even now, I mean, I wrote, you know, a book about it, the Royal Arch of Enoch. I mean, I, I think I think a lot of the rituals and the philosophies, you know, are very mystical and occult and, and esoteric. I mean, I think that's, you know, pretty irrefutable. Yeah. Next time you come on, Robert, I want to talk to you about that, because that was actually the first book I found that uh you know of yours that i found that i came across that the sure. uh, the royal arc free freemasonry which i find super interesting so next time we can talk about that do you have any closing thoughts on uh maybe where you think this is all going do you think this numerical parasitic killing hex is going to continue its rampage uh should we i know you made a you alluded to some predictions coming up here soon but is there anything else you want to leave the people with before we sign off? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, for starters, I want to thank you, Juan, for having me on the one-on-one -on -one podcast. It was my pleasure to be here, and it was a terrific show. Uh, I'd be more than welcome, to, you know, more than happy to come back again. And again, thank you for having me on. Uh, just briefly, if you want to find out more about me and where to buy my books, just go to my website, which is my name, which is Robert W. Sullivan IV. My website is robertwsullivaniv.com. Uh, there's links there to purchase the books on all the major online sites. Information about me, uh, shows that I've been on, the show will be posted there uh, when it goes live, um, you know, on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. I will put a link up. Um, my biography is there. Again, you know, shows that I'm going to be on. I have a blog that I update routinely with information, you know, research, upcoming shows. So, so check out the website, www.robertwsullivaniv.com. One of the things that makes this thing so hard to track is, again, again, is you're dealing with sequences related to the number seven and 77 and things like that. So, I mean, you know, you're, you, you know, you don't know if you're 14 weeks out or 14 years out, um, mm -hmm. you know, or seven weeks out or seven days out. That's what sort of, you know, to be fair, that what does what makes this a little, um, 
hard, hard to hard to track down. Um, the only thing I would say is, you know, you know, I don't wish anyone any harm. I'd say keep an eye on Sandra Bullock, um, Taylor Swift. I, I, I'd kind of keep a raised eyebrow on. I, I've run some numbers on this and some, you know, little Pythagorean mathematics, maybe a little Kabbalistic magic. I would say keep an eye out for the date for the seven day period of of June of 2026, spanning from about the 14th to the 21st. Um, if I understand this death, I mean, nothing may happen. I don't know. But I think based on what I know about this thing, I think that's a time frame this thing will find irresistible. Um, and I can't see this thing staying away from that seven day period in June of 2026. Um, that's, that's when I would say this thing could rear its ugly head again. I don't know what it will be. I'd be speculating. Nothing could happen. Um, nothing at all could happen, but I would say keep an eye out for a natural disaster, uh, you know, a school shooting, a nine 11 type thing. Um, that would be a time frame right now. I would keep an eyeball on. And when can we expect the next book? Robert. Yeah, the, 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 the book I'm writing right now is CS4. I'm also making some edits to the Royal Arch and some of my other books. That will be a third edition on that one. Um, Cinema Symbolism 4, to be, to be honest, is probably at least a year and a half away. Um, the one movie that I am sitting on and I will not make a move on until I watch it uh, is not coming out until October of next year. And this is, of course, Joker 2. Um, the first Joker movie is over the top with all kind of themes in it. That's a very alchemical movie, by the way. If you're interested in what I was talking about earlier with alchemical symbolism, take a look at Joker with, with Joaquin Phoenix, the first one. So I, I got to imagine that uh, Joker 2, and even from the little bit I've seen of it with Lady Gaga and with him, um, this again looks to be a very alchemical movie. Um, so I'm going to want to watch that. Uh, I'm, that's going to go in Cinema Symbolism 4. So unfortunately, that doesn't come out till October of next year. So Cinema Symbolism 4, Right now, let's see, that's 2024. I'm probably targeting the spring of 2025 for Cinema Symbolism 4. Somewhere in there also will be a, a new edition of Royal Arch. Cinema Symbolism 1 will get a third edition, and CS2 will get a second edition. Those are probably two, three, four years away. Um, and again, you know, be trying to do some fiction in there as well. But yeah, Cinema Symbolism 4, um, again, this, the, you know, the, the, the book kind of went off. Um, into a different di direction with this Wizard of Oz, you know, <laughs> 7742 thing. But it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. And like I said, the, the, the most interesting thing is this this latent Wizard of Oz macabre, morbid reference in there that will inevitably turn up. So fascinating study. Awesome. Well, Robert, I appreciate you coming on. This was fun. And we'll do it again soon, man. And as always, everyone. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Juan. See you on the other side.
Flip 